Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from experienced medical device and med tech experts through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hello, everyone. It's Scott Nelson, and welcome to another edition of MedSider. Uh, this is the show where I bring on experienced med tech and medical device thought leaders. Uh, and on today's program, we've got Daryl Drynan. Daryl is the CEO of Philo uh, Metron, a tech accelerator based in San Diego that develops novel therapeutic solutions for chronic diseases. Philo Metron spun out Corventus in 2005, which was later acquired by Medtronic in 2014. Uh, prior to co-founding uh, Philo Metron in 2001, Daryl was the director of new program management for Braun Thermoscan a subsidiary of the Gillette Company. So without further ado, welcome to the uh, program, Daryl. I appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you for the opportunity. All right. Uh, and I know uh, before I actually hit the call record button for this interview, I asked you how to pronounce Philometron. I'm pronouncing that correctly, right? That's correct, yes. There's okay. plenty of stories behind uh, how other people have tried to uh, uh, pronounce that name. So that's a, that's a key point for any startup company is, uh, choose the name carefully. <laughs> That's right. Good. Advice number one from Daryl: uh, choose your name wisely. Uh, cool. So let's uh, let's start with uh, let's start on the topic of of Corventus because I think uh, for most of my audience uh, that's what they're going to be most familiar with. And um, let's let's kind of go back to um, Corventus and how it was affiliated with uh, with your accelerator, Philometron. Uh, that was your first spin out, right? Corventus was back in two thousand five. That's correct. Yeah, the uh, origins of the research behind Corventus started back when we uh, created Philometron in 2001. Uh, DARPA funded us to develop uh, patches for soldiers to monitor various physiological parameters, and we were successful in doing that um, through 2003. Uh, we then started to focus on how we would commercialize it for the military and realized that was a significant challenge. So we looked at the uh, um, uh, healthcare applications and found uh, the cardiovascular region uh, market uh, specifically uh, to be the, the one that was going to be most receptive to the platform. And uh, we met with uh, uh, more David Alfers, uh, and they wanted to uh, do a deal with Kleiner Perkins, and we all got together and uh, decided actually to create a spin-out because we, at the time we had a bunch of different uh, uh, research projects ongoing in uh, various different categories, and Kleiner and David Al only wanted to focus in on this cardiovascular application, so we created a, a company called Amigo Therapy, which was the first name, the undercover name uh, for Corventus, and uh, um, closed the deal with those two groups uh, in November of 2005. Okay, great, and that—that's what become, became Corventus as as we knew it before the Medtronic acquisition. That is correct. Yeah. Great. I want to I want to definitely uh, break that apart here as we uh, as we progress kind of throughout this this conversation. But uh, like I mentioned um, in the in the intro, Corventus was acquired by Medtronic in 2014. I think for a reported you know 150 million. I'm not entirely sure if that's accurate, but when you think about that acquisition, as well as how well I think Medtronic is doing with with the two devices. I think they're Seek and Link. I believe is is are their are their names, and I'm not entirely sure which one came first. I guess, but when you think about about that acquisition and then 
you know how you know the success of those of those those product launches, especially here in the U.S. How, how does that make you feel? Well, of course, you're always proud to be involved with the, the success. But as the uh, old saying goes, their uh, successes have many parents, and failures are orphans. So we're <laughs> one of the many parents that created uh, the uh, Corventus platform. We weren't the only group. Obviously, there's a a great group of uh, guys there in uh, Minneapolis as well as in San Jose that um, did some of the heavy lifting uh, on the uh, the application that ultimately uh, Medtronic acquired it for. Got it. Well, cool. Cer- certainly a uh, a cool story uh, in today's uh, in today's uh, med tech world, which I, th- I think everyone listening to our conversation now understands that it's it's certainly a challenging environment, not just from a uh, uh, a funding standpoint, but also, you know, the regulatory environment, you know, can, rep- you know, can present various challenges as well as just, you know, the, you know, insurance coverage and, and reimbursement as well. So um, certainly a very cool story. And before we kind of go back to that, you know, that pre-2005 era with Corventus and how that technology came to fruition, um, let's talk about wearables in general, because it's certainly a, a hot space. Uh, seems to be, um, you know, if you keep up with, you know, the healthcare healthcare scene or, or med tech in, in, in general, there's lots of investment, uh, a lot of M&A activity, uh, even consumer brands like, you know, Apple and Under, Under Armour are, you know, are making significant investments in, in wearables. I think Fitbit's IPO was, what, last year in 2015, I think, um, my memory serves me right. So when you think about, uh, you know, wearables, um, is, it, is it justified that that space is, is you know, is so trendy right now? Um, what are your what are your general comments about uh, about wearables? Uh, well, it, uh, I think the, right yeah, a, a broad way to look at that is in the healthcare space, the wearables are yet to emerge, other, other than a couple of small applications such as diabetes and cardiovascular ECG monitoring. In the uh, consumer side of the business, it's a different approach. Whereas uh, you know, life sciences typically have a very narrow vertical focus on an application. In the uh, consumer side of the uh, of this system, like Fitbit, for example, or Jawbone, et cetera, they're they're trying to reach a large, large audience, and there's very few um, applications that meet that large, large audience. And so uh, they've started with fitness, and as we all see now, that there are some challenges to that focus of in terms of uh, clinical efficacy, the relevance. Uh, to using something, and then of course the the device itself, the the wristband devices uh, are are going to have some challenges uh, picking up clinically relevant parameters. So I think all of those will be constrained um, constraints on the consumer side of the market. Uh, I don't believe the technology guys really understand healthcare, so they stuck with things that they do understand, and fitness is one of them. So. If you look at it in that context, I think there um, uh, there's there's challenges in that market uh, in terms of future growth opportunities, incremental value, uh, price points. Whereas in the healthcare market, it's very clear there's needs. There are very clear uh, opportunities, as I mentioned. And we look at the uh, BC, you know, the continuous glucose sensing capabilities, uh, the mobile cardiac telemetry, which of Corventus is with, are two of the early. Uh, vertical applications and have very high value uh, to not only the patient but the payer and the provider. So if you look at it in the context, the margins are obviously going to be higher in the healthcare side of the market. 
Got it. And are there other, you know, when you think about the, the, the healthcare side of the market versus, the, you know, the consumer play, are there other areas that you think uh, wearables uh, will, will make a lot of sense or will make a, a big impact? Uh, I, again, I think uh, we, we try to keep them binned in those two categories because if you start to get into this middle category, if you will, or you get into a gray area, you know, some people have talked about wellness programs. They're now using another term called population health programs. Um, but it comes back to is the, is the data clinically relevant and is, is it actionable? Uh, so in the fitness side, it's self-actionable. You could do it yourself, whereas in the healthcare side, you typically need a, a clinician of some sort to help you uh, understand the value and begin monitoring it. I think Got the it. area that, that, that is severely underserved but challenged in terms of a price point to be able to do it technically or um, is the, the, the weight loss category. Because weight loss, weight management is simply a behavioral issue. You need a diagnostic that tells you the problem. And mo for the most part, the problem is, uh, is, uh, is, is very simple, and that is you eat too much and you exercise too little. So if you were able to monitor those two parameters, uh, you probably could then create some type of uh, effective interventions, behavioral modifications. But uh, the challenge to date has been the calorie intake side, and that is the, the ability to determine how many calories a person has consumed uh, is um, very difficult to do manually, let alone uh, because of compliance and estimation errors, uh, as well as the variance in what we eat. The calorie expenditure side is very clear um, that there are devices, including wristbands, that get you to a certain level of accuracy that are that's more than adequate. So a group called He'll Be attempted to do that with a wrist-based device telling you how many calories you burn. But I think they're, uh, from what we're reading, is it looks like the, the values that they're uh, uh, providing to their uh, customers are, are suspect in terms of how they're actually measuring it through a risk-based device. So our next spin-out, we spent the last six years developing algorithms and uh, technology, patch technology, to actually measure that particular parameter of calorie intake. And uh, we've gotten it to what we call a two-sticker bar error, and um, that's uh, more than adequate in, in, in the market right now. And that's not a cumulative error. That's, a, that's just an error. So on day one, most people burn between two and 3,000 calories a day. Um, and as a result, you know, none of us are rapidly expanding and rapidly contracting. Uh, so on day two, then, if you're looking at it as a trend over time, you're at, you know, two to 4,000 calories and so on and so forth. So our error of, of a Snickers bar uh, is uh, is well within the uh, accuracy needs of the market then to drive a behavioral change over a two to three month period where uh, as you can see the whole premise of uh, of weight watchers is to count points that are assigned to a food group that give you the number of calories you consume but if you take that uh, responsibility away just take that compliance component completely away take the technique component completely away and have the patient focus not on the counting of calories but on their behavior, uh, suddenly now you have uh, uh, a much more focused system and perhaps a far more effective system.
Yeah, very cool. And that's what you're doing at Bio Ribbon Health today. Bio Ribbon is is yeah. Bio Ribbon has got 12 different families of parameters. It it will be the most comprehensive monitoring platform in a single device out there today, and it'll it'll be useful in both health and healthcare applications as we describe it. So it can measure the usual suspects of uh, heart rate and ECG and respiration and temperature and motion. But on top of that, we can tell you your body fat, lean mass, hydration, net weight, emotional status, calorie expenditure, calorie intake, METs, calorie balance, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that you can, uh, with all of the parameters. And it's in a small uh, chest-worn patch that uses Bluetooth to go through your phone uh, up into the cloud. Uh, That's very cool. Sounds incredibly promising. Uh, And I mean that, I mean that in all sincerity. Uh, And I I do really want to circle back uh, to, you know, to to the problems that you initially were trying to address, uh, address with, with BioRibbon shortly after, uh, you know, Corventus there. But uh, before we dig into BioRibbon and, you know, in, uh, you know, too, with too much depth there, but um, let's go back to, let's even go back, rewind the clock even further to even, even, uh, you know, kind of earlier in your career, because um, I, 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 I would imagine there was probably some mentors along the way, uh, maybe some lessons learned, um, especially as you, you know, it sounds like you had some great experiences from, you know, your time at, uh, at uh, Thermoscan uh, with, with Gillette and then on to the, uh, you know, the, the, U, the UCSD, um, I think it's Wizard program. Is that how you pronounce that? Mm-hmm. Uh, which yeah. is very cool. So uh, maybe, maybe talk a little bit more, more about your, your earlier career. And then is there, is there anything, any experiences or any, any people that you really could point to, um, whether, whether whether it's people or experiences, um, that 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 you know you were able to really you know it kind of propelled you moving forward into your experiences with Filometron and, and Corventus and now and now BioRibbon. Yeah, I think I think some that stand out in my mind through all of these programs, whether it's my Gillette Brown days or uh, helping uh, you know a couple of different programs, UCSD. I was also a uh, part of the Army Medical Research Command's uh, uh, TATRIC group in terms of reviewing external extramural programs. So what I found, found consistently and problematic is that people were developing technology in absence of, of focus on the problem, and that creates a number of problems for you as you move forward. So uh, if you start with a clinical problem or a life science healthcare-related problem uh, and understand it well and focus on that, your intellectual property portfolio is going to be far deeper because you're going to identify not one but many different potential solutions. You're going to see the ability to do a a SWOT or other types of analyses on those, and thus your IP is going to be broader and more uh, robust to capture a field of use that is meaningful into the market, and you'll understand all of the challenges that others have had. So when we were at Gillette, we were studying this category of uh, body composition very heavily, and we we developed a a mindset that says, don't drink your own Kool-Aid. And that, that came from my design teams in San Diego and Germany, um, we started to do focus groups, and what the focus groups were telling us were completely different from the device that we were developing. So I made my guys go to these focus groups, and mm-hmm. for the most part, 
they were stunned because the market for those types of devices uh, at the time was predominantly women uh, who were making the uh, purchase decisions. So we were looking for, in those focus groups in, in San Diego, Paris, uh, um, uh, Frankfurt, and, and uh, Boston, we were looking for specific feedback of why they would buy it and why they wouldn't buy it. And I'll be candid and tell you that some of the design options that we had to implement weren't even in the same universe of thought that the testosterone-based uh, design team that I had uh, could even contemplate. And that's because they, they weren't the market. And so drinking your own Kool-Aid is a huge problem. You don't talk to your customer, you don't know, and you're developing it. Uh, for perhaps the wrong wrong customer, especially again in the healthcare space. Um, the other other thing that we always had at Gillette was this rule um, uh, that if you had to do three things in a device, a diagnostic home-based device, you would fail. So if you would have to, um, the the patient would have to be compliant. There was a technique involved with that device, and then there was education of the value. They, they would fail in the market. So let me give you an example of that. A technique uh, uh, would be a blood pressure cuff. If you, on a wrist-based cuff, if you don't have your wrist above your heart, you can have 10 points of mercury or more air in, in, uh, injected into the, into the value. So as a result, you're not going to um, have an accurate device. So that's technique. There's a compliance component to that too. And that is, if I have to remember to do this, at 8 o'clock every day or or 5 p.m. every day. Suddenly now I have to be. So I got two there. The third component that makes blood pressure possible is people understand what normal is, 120 over 80, or what's defined as normal. Uh, so that makes the blood pressure possible. But imagine these emerging categories where you don't know. And I'll give you a, a, an example of that is the, um, the uh, headband device called Zio. When they came out, and it was a compliance issue. You had to put it on. There was a technique issue. If you didn't put it on the right spot of your forehead, it wouldn't work. And the third is they created a brand new value called the ZQ score, which was related to the quality of your sleep. People didn't understand what a normal value was. Yeah. So as a result, you had all three, and, of course, they did fail. They weren't, they weren't able to penetrate the market because of that. And that's, that's a, a good example of how you can or cannot fail in the consumer side of the market. On a prescriptive device, there's a little bit more uh, complication because you can have somebody help you uh, understand those values and, and guide you. And I think with the way that digital health is going now with these automated feedback loops, it's, it's becoming more and more um, possible to use, uh, create values and, and feedback off of data that, they, that the patient may or may not understand. Got it. Uh, no, that, that's great stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna nickname that the Drynin Three. You know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's good stuff. And I I want to come back to that because I I think it 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 deserves maybe some follow up questions about in that, in essence what you're saying is you can't ask the the end user or the end customer to take three steps, especially if if you know two out of the three or at least one out of the three is 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 a you know it forces them to learn something um you know new altogether. Um, yeah. But but be, before. Well, let, let's let's stay on there, and I want to ask you a little bit more about the, the focus group concept. But um, do you see that? I mean, you mentioned the Zio, which I think is a great device, and and I I, I do recall that device receiving you know getting quite a bit of attention, and there was there was definitely some hype around that 
Um, but also as it sort of faded off, you know, there wasn't certainly enough, there certainly wasn't the same, that same sort of, uh, you know, attention to the lessons learned with those, with those founders of the Zio device. But, um, do you, you know, when, when, ta when looking at like those, those three issues that you, that you mentioned, can you get away with, with two, or is it really just that, you know, you can only really ask the end user to, to make one adjustment on their, on their end. What are your thoughts about that? I think you can get away with devices with only two of them. Two of them, okay. I think, as I said, I think blood pressure is a good example. They understand what normal blood pressure is, but and there's a compliance and there's a technique involved. So how about standing on a bathroom scale? You understand what weight is, so there's no education component. There is a compliance component, and there is potentially a technique. If you rock around on the scales or you don't have the scale properly on the floor, it could be a, uh, uh, an influence. Got it. Yeah, no, no that's that, those are that's another really good example. And I, I could I could see your point about why it's not as big of a deal. Uh, you know, when there's a uh, you know in, in more of the traditional healthcare setting, when there's a provider involved to sort of coach that patient along, so to speak. But it's certainly good advice though for any you know any 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 product development team that's even even focused just exclusively within the healthcare setting. That you know once they kind of hit those three points, they're asking that patient to. To do all three, and that may present uh, quite a few challenges, even with a yeah. coach along the way. Right. So, right. Good, good stuff. Now, kind of going back to your your comments about focus groups, um, and I love that you went there. And I, I guess my follow up question is: is how do you balance that with, um, with you know the the kind of the, the Steve Jobs co concept of you know of, of having to design products you know with focus groups because you know people don't always you know uh, don't always know uh, know what they want until you show it to them. That whole, and I'm not I'm kind of paraphrasing that Steve Jobs quote, but I think you get the hint. So, how do you balance the two? Uh, um, you know, focusing on 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 really the problem through focus groups versus using focus groups when they may not know you know entirely what they want. Yeah, I think that again, coming back to the the difference between a, a consumer device like a phone or a computer, or a uh, I'll describe it as technology. Uh, device in a consumer market versus a healthcare market are two different things. Um, if you have a, a Steve Jobs that wants to create a market for a new uh, solution, what, how do you get people to use that? Well, you have to tell them what the, what the problem is that you're solving for them. You also have to make it appealing. So the cool factor is a way to market that. You know, I have to have that. It's cool. If you look at clothing, that's a good example. Well, I, you know, do I really need a new shirt with a new logo on it? Uh, perhaps not. But if it's part of this trend and the cool trend, then I think you, you can introduce that and solve a problem that they didn't know they had. On the healthcare side, it's a different animal. When you have diabetes, you have to solve it. Otherwise, you, you die. And so there is a different um, metric that you're mm -hmm. going to put on the healthcare-related side. Is there is a need? There's a very clear life sciences is is in a, in a sense easier to address because the problems are known. You're bleeding. You have high blood pressure. You your glucose is uh, out of control, or your insulin levels aren't being uh, properly. You have you're obese. Uh, your hair is falling out your teeth, I mean, there are many, many, they're very concisely um, defined. And that's why the pharmaceutical side of the world is so very narrowly focused on a drug 
med tech is very narrowly focused on a problem, whereas you turn right when you go across the consumer because you have to create the demand on some of these. And that's very, very challenging to do. I mean, how long has it taken the Internet to become uh, such an integral part of our life that we didn't, we can't live without it? 25 years? Right. Trillions of dollars? So that's an example of I didn't know I needed it, and now I need it, and now I can't live without it. Sure. Or your cell phone, et cetera. Got it. No, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Thanks for uh, thanks for kind of the the, the examples. Uh, I like what I like how you how you use those to describe describe the issues. Um, very good. So let's let's. Um, I know I, for the sake of time, I know we've we probably only got an, another you know ten minutes or so, um, and I I want to somehow um, talk about if you, if you can contrast maybe your early days um, launching you know through the kind of the product development with Corventus versus what you're doing with, with BioRibbon. I guess what, what I mean by that is, you know, at Corventus, it seemed like you really honed in on, um, on you know, cardiac monitoring um, versus now with BioRibbon, it seems, uh, you know, from the limited information that, that you shared earlier, it seems like you're, you're, expounding, you're expounding, you know, uh, a lot further, you know, in, in terms of what you're monitoring. So talk a little bit about, a little bit about you know, the, you know what, what you learned from Corventus and how you're applying that to BioRibbon just in terms of, of addressing certain problems through the uh, through through product design and kind of how you envision going to market with uh, you know with, with what you're developing at BioRibbon. Well, I, remember when we started Corventus or we started to commercialize uh, the underlying technologies for Corventus in 2004 and funded it in 2005, there was no iPhone, there was no iOS, there was mm. no Android. So that impediment in that pipeline or that platform and that pipe and the cloud, Amazon Web Services didn't exist. All of that exists now. So now we can make it invisible. Like uh, I, the analogy I often draw is to, do you really know if your phone is a CDMA or a GSM phone? Do you really care? No. <laughs> okay. So it, and it, it has gotten to that UI, UX interface that how I use it in my daily life versus it being a technology difference. And that's where I see the healthcare market moving. I see the fitness market doing one thing, staying on the wrist, trying to figure out if they can get any meaningful clinical data off of your wrist or those types of devices. But I think the healthcare wearable market is going vertical. And those verticals are going to be very problem focused, like we talked about before, with a particular uh, solution in mind. But to do that, and to do that across a large population, you need many different sensors uh, to mitigate variances in physiology, variances in use patterns, variances in um, body motion and what we call noise artifacts. So by adding more sensors to mitigate that noise, uh, you suddenly now have the ability to provide a more robust value than a single sensor platform, uh, such as the uh, Corventus's, the Vital Connects, or even uh, MC10 stuff that they introduced at the uh, uh, CES, where they're, you know, basically an accelerometer and a voltage pickup, and they're limited to uh, variations of that. Our, whereas our BioRibbon platform decided to go 
put everything we needed in there and be able to uh, provide all of that data so that new observations can be made on things that we've never knew about. Uh, we have a number of different um, trials uh, that will be utilizing the platform for things that we couldn't have even imagined uh, the platform, but the clinician or the researcher has said, hey, I need to figure out what, if this particular parameter has some influence on the underlying condition. And I can't go into too much detail, but uh, I'll just say, take an example that um, elder, once at around age 55 to 60, uh, most humans lose their thirst complex. So they're unable to tell whether or not they're hydrated. Well, what what is the you know, clinical manifestations of that? Could it be the effectiveness of drugs when you take them if you're chronically dehydrated or acutely dehydrated, perhaps? Uh, could that cause uh, dysphenia, dizziness uh, in elderly patients, ultimately having them go into the hospital for an IV, perhaps? So there's a whole bunch of different um, yet-to-be-discovered applications that say, if I monitored this and I had a, an alarm go off and say, hey, drink eight ounces of water, would that solve this problem? Perhaps. Mm -hmm. there's, and, and there's a whole slew of things that will come out of this. That, so we're, we're not suggesting that someone look at all this data uh, naked, as we would call it. Uh, we're, we're developing what we call signatures or bio-ribbon signatures. And these are the combination of these different parameters um, in, as they're correlated to that particular um, uh, endpoint or truth. And those uh, data points will allow an individual or a group of individuals to make decisions upon and drive those decisions from that data, that clinical quality data set um, that they can do it uh, remotely. And we think that's uh, going to address a huge market um, in the under in a underserved population, and that is the population that's not in the hospital and the population that isn't healthy. It's in between. It's the unhealthy group in between the ER and all the way back to your healthy uh, that are elderly uh, or have multiple comorbidities that are driving the uh, expenditures in the U.S. Got it. Yeah, very. I mean, very cool. No, so so thanks a ton for that that explanation. And, and before we get to kind of the last the last three very very short very uh very quick question and answer question and answer um segment, uh one follow up question to that. So so when you think about um what you know the activity the development um potentially you know uh you know, the the clinical trials that you, you have in mind for you know for what you're doing with BioRibbon Health, and then contrast that to you know your experiences at. Uh, you know, through the the Corventus prog you know, uh, um, progression, is is there something that that is there like one one key thing that like that stood out during your time with Corventus that you're like we're this is how we're doing it differently at BioRibbon, or one major lesson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I think the the number of sensing parameters, as I say, um, is going to is the difference between us, what Corventus is doing, or Vital Connect, or MC10 are doing currently, or even Preventus for that matter, for all those groups that have the, the, the voltage pickup and the uh, temperature and, and accelerometer. Um, this is a, a more complex platform because the, the data 
needed to mitigate just positional changes or uh, temperature changes or seasonal changes. Or grandma, grandma's heart rate is 62 in San Diego uh, on Tuesday, and she's at 91 on Wednesday. Well, she's in Denver. Got it. Yeah. She went to fly to her kids. How do I know that? Well, I I have data coming off the device and the phone that I can calculate that, and thus I can mitigate any intervention if that's true, or I can I can intervene because there may be something going on there. Got it. Cool. Uh, very good. So so thanks for uh, thanks for. Uh... Um, kind of explaining that in more detail. Appreciate it, Daryl. And let, let's get to the, you know, for the sake of time, let's get to these last three questions. Uh, if you can just, you know, feel, feel free to, uh, to answer them with, with you know, in, in, in sort of brief fashion, or, or if you want to expand a little bit, uh, feel free to do that as well. But let's start with the first one. Uh, what's your, uh, your favorite nonfiction business book? Or maybe one that really stands out? Yeah, I think the Lean Startup series, and I think any of Steve Blank's books are, if you haven't read them as an entrepreneur, you are going to fail unless you read them. They are um, not close, not not nearly accurate. They're perfectly accurate to uh, the experiences and the needs, what you need to focus on, because they have such relevance to what I just described of a problem focus, talk to your customer, don't drink your Kool-Aid. I think they're brilliant. Yeah, and if that, so, that's – that's that, <clears throat> oh, go ahead. Sorry. And as I said, in terms of a business leader, uh, you know, uh, Steve Blank is pretty far up there on, on the pecking list of, of people that have solved some really, really uh, challenging problems. I think the other side of this key in, in the, you know, whether it's the, the uh, uh, industrial design side of the, of the equation here, that these devices need to not be um, traditional medical devices. So they have to have some industrial design and so you're looking at guys like Max Burton at, at Matter or the IDO folks or Frog for that matter uh, and, and, and have some relationship and have an, an, an empathy and appreciation for what they do because it's, it's subtle to the engineers, they don't get it, but it's extraordinarily important. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're getting at there is is the design component of these devices. It can't be something that that is very challenging for the end user to use. It's got to be designed in a way that is so simple. Uh, you know, some, yeah. like like you know, comparing com- comparing iOS versus Android. You know, everyone comments that iOS just works. You know, an Apple phone, you open it up, it right. just works. You know, uh, right. not always the case with Android phones. So uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And and hearing your hearing you kind of dive into the you know, the, the really the extreme focus on, on the problem and not necessarily your, your tech, your technology or your solution reminds me of that. Um, I think it's Albert, Albert Einstein, maybe that, that quote of like, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend, you know, 55 minutes, you know, thinking about the problem and, and the remaining time, you know, five minutes, I guess, thinking about the solution. So I'm glad that you mentioned yep. that. So, um, so, so good stuff. And it, I, I also find it ironic that you mentioned, you, you call out Steve Blank, uh, you know, uh, with with the lean startup versus Eric Reese, because I think a lot a lot of younger folks would would you know name Eric Reese in the lean startup, but Steve Blank is correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, he's, well, they're he's both. Really I mean, the yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't mean to exclude Eric, but but Steve is doing some other work in a similar capacity as as the lean startup guys have done. So I Got think it. they're I think they're talking the same issue. Got it. Cool. Well, you answered already my second question about business leader. You call it Steve Blank, so we'll, we'll leave that one off. Uh, third, third and last question, um, Daryl. When thinking about you know your your career in healthcare, 
what's the uh, what's the one piece of advice that you you tell your uh, your thirty year old self if we had to rewind the clock that far? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that I think the the uh, you know I, I I pointed out don't drink your own Kool Aid. Don't think you understand. Don't be enamored with technology for the purpose of technology because uh, technology is hard. And if you focus on a problem and you understand it, you're more valuable. Uh, so becoming an expert or an expert in multiple areas because you know it um, then becoming that KOL in that particular category is very valuable. Being a generalist has, has marginal value. Uh, I would also say that the greatest percentage gain in value happens from creation to, I would say, first prototype or first in human use. Uh, after that, it becomes a grind. So uh, manufacturing stuff, hardware especially, is a really tough business. Hmm. You have to be uh, not faint of heart to uh, be in the hardware side of the business. Got it. Uh, that's that's good stuff. Um, thanks thanks again, Daryl, for, for taking the time to... to uh to converse with me over the past 30 minutes or so. And, and, and the, I'll, I'll link to these uh, in, in the show notes on medsider.com. Um, but, uh, and if you're reading this, you know, this, uh, this interview in text-based format, of course, you'll, you'll, you'll see the link uh, that Daryl calls out, but would, would the best place to, to direct the audience uh, to learn more about what you're doing? Is it, is it bio ribbon health? Is that the best, uh, the best URL? Yeah. If they it? want to know about, yeah. Bio ribbon is there. Okay. Uh, very good. So check it out when you get a chance. BioRibbonHealth.com. Of course, you can Google that or, or Google, uh, you know, Daryl Drynan uh, as well. I'm sure there there's some stories about uh, Daryl and, and Corventus and whatnot that you'll that you'll find as well if you want to dig a little bit deeper. So, uh, Daryl, I'll have you hold on the line here. But um, um, uh, thanks everyone uh, for uh, for another uh, for listening uh, to another interview, another MedSider interview. And until the uh, the next one, uh, everyone take care.